Who would win in a fist fight? A rousing battle of fisticuffs. One Boris Johnson or Mr. Donald Trump? <laughs> well, um, shit. I don't think either of them would use their fists. It'd be like a slap fight, I would think. Yeah, kind of like a sissy slap fight. Maybe, or just headbutts. <laughs> maybe like, uh, like, like some kind of a beauty contest or something, since they're both pretty narcissistic people, I think. It'd just, yeah. be a, it'd just be a counting your money battle. Yeah, you It'd go. be like war. You're just laying out dollar bills and whoever has the most at the end. Old rich white guy mm-hmm. who need, in desperate need of a beautician. Or a wig off. A wig off. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, they say they get yeah. into a hell pooling match, but I don't think that would work out good for anybody. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the old days with the big wigs, the big powdered wigs, those guys probably would rule. Yeah. Because they have so much room to spare. Yeah. Ah. Maybe they'd do a Marilyn Monroe moment, see how how far up the hair would go for each of them. <laughs> Line them up, get them to stand over a grate, one by one, in a dress, all dolled up. I like that. I think that's the way to mm. go. I don't know if most Americans know who Boris Johnson is, though. That's the problem. Well, he just looks like Trump's sister. <laughs> kind of. I was thinking more of it, like that, that little uh, cousin that you just don't talk about. The one who's yeah. doing some weird mm. stuff. In the attic. In the attic, yeah. I mean, his name yeah. is Boris. How many Borises do you know? I don't know any Borises. I kind of wish I did. I would like just be able to use that name in my daily conversations. Yeah, I haven't met any other Borises. I, I mean, I haven't met the Prime Minister either. <laughs> um, but uh, How did he become the Prime Minister? He wasn't voted in, was he? Just happened? Well, he's been voted in by his own, his own party. But after, the people the, of the, England the, didn't vote him in, right? Not the people, no. Although uh, some would say that he's been in- inevitable for several years. Um, he's been sort of lurking around, stinking up the place <laughs> like uh, like an unwanted Churchill for, for a long, long time. I think lurking's the word. That's the perfect word. Like Donald Trump, he, he's always looming over yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Johnson's lurking in he the does shadows. Look, he does look like a lurker. Like, yeah, he's definitely a lurker. Everybody, you are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me, as always, Spencer, the babbling brute of Baghdad Church. That's a weird name. Yeah. That's a lot a, of... A lot of words. Yeah. You what's, that, to, what's that whenever like a, something begins with the same letter? like Alliteration? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Why are you asking me? That's what I'm asking. I don't know what it is. Okay. Uh... <laughs> We have a special guest today, too, from the mean streets of England, and also from the Ear Read This podcast, Mr. Ash Catton. Is that how you pronounce your last name, by the way? Uh, it's Caton. Caton. Damn it, I knew it. It's fine. Let's not go again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, how are you doing there, Mr. Caton? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. I'm also, I'm currently, although I am English, I'm currently in Scotland, um, and the, the Scottish are very particular about getting the border right yeah I don't, I don't want any angry scots turn up on your doorstep how did you end up in scotland and are you even allowed to be there so far they don't quite know i'm just putting on an accent whenever i go outside <laughs> um, if ever they do find out i'm 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 a dead man <laughs> yeah they, they don't seem like the friendliest types but spencer's a scotsman aren't you 
I, I, like great like i think like like somewhere on my father's side was church sounds like a very english yeah name and to then me. When, whenever the beard gets out there it gets like that reddish tint to it when it gets to a certain like right, so right. It, it's in there somewhere yeah that's the good thing about being american is you can just say you're anything and people will believe it yeah i mean who's gonna know <laughs> as long as you're in america like if you come to scotland and go hi i'm scottish they're, they're not gonna believe <laughs> Yeah, they're probably not gonna. My name's Todd. No, you're not gonna. Yeah. It's not gonna go over. You need to have like a name like Agnes or something. Angus. Yeah, Angus. Oh man, today we actually have. I wouldn't say an educational episode, but we have an episode. We are talking about the art of storytelling, and more specifically, how to tell a good story. Uh, me and Spencer are writers. I know you've dabbled in writing. Have you done fiction writing, Ash? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've written a few plays. Uh, I mean, I've dabbled. I've definitely dabbled. Plays are um, a slightly different way to go about things, but I would imagine the story structure would be similar. Well, yeah, I mean, um, uh, I was actually um, looking through an old an old book that's called something like How to Write Plays. <laughs> <It's> got, <laughs> I like it. Nice and simple. <laughs> like, it's a, good, it's a good plot book for yeah. an idiot playwright. Um, it's by a guy called David Edgar, and he... Um, I mean, a lot of the principles are the same. He talks about kind of the fact that every story is Cinderella, which I think is bullshit, but um, that's not a lot on kind of top 10 writing tip sites. Um, but he has he has one quite nice, I think it's a nicer metaphor than it is a good rule, but he, he says something like, Cause, because every story has been told, your job is sort of like the skin on top of the bone. Like you can't change the bone. You're never going to rewrite the wheel on how stories really work, but it's it's sort of like coming up with a good face. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've read the the like seven. I, I can't remember what they are, but the the so called seven models of stories, like the hero's journey, etc., etc. I think we talked about that in the past. I I don't remember all seven of no. them at this point. I know the hero's journey and a few other things, but you just swallow your mic. Yeah, I like to get up in it nice and deep and <laughs> succulent. My vocals are down, at least on my end. Either that or Ash is just yelling at us. He's just overpowering the pro- the program. <laughs> I've actually just got a new mic. I, I don't know how powerful it is. I'm going to say your mic looks way nicer yeah, than our mic. Yeah, it does. It looks professional. Yeah. It's new. It's got that, still got that new mic smell. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to the pod. There's many podcasts yeah. where I've bitched about the odor coming from my mic at this point. Because I don't know oh, how yeah. you clean these things. Like, yours looks ah, like it's just a metal tip, so you could probably wipe that off. I got the fuzzy tip, and that does not work. It also depends on what you're, you're, you look to be drinking something quite fancy there. I am drinking a Negroni, good sir, with uh, some ten penny gin. See, I, I reckon, like, 50 episodes of Negroni breath probably accumulates. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, uh, we did an episode not too long ago where we drank a whole bottle of tequila, and that definitely attributed to my awful-smelling microphone, so... <laughs> But at some point we will get new mics and they yeah. will be we'll be able to clean them hopefully. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> getting... No one warns you about this going into the podcasting game. <laughs> no, you never that's what we should do is write an article about the things people don't know. Hey, you're gonna have fucked up audio for ten episodes. <laughs> your your microphone's gonna start smelling like halitosis very, very badly at some point. You might get electrocuted once or twice. Um getting back on topic, what makes a good story? Now, this is from one Mr. Aaron Shepard. I'm going 
it's not it's not really much of an article, I would say. Um, if you guys want to check it out, you can go to AaronShep.com. My apologies to Mr. Shepard. I have not heard of him or read his work, but I will be jacking his article for this. Which is pretty much... I think we have an article on DPW about this. I just didn't feel like searching for it. Yeah. I think I've written a couple articles. It's It's the same... Like Ash said, with the seven ways of... It's the basic things. Yeah, they're all, they're all the basic things, so... Off-air, we actually discussed this first topic that Spencer says he does not incorporate into his work enough, and I usually start my work with the theme. Yeah. I like to go into the theme of the story and what I'm trying to convey, morals and whatnot, and uh, you kind of go story first, right? Yeah. You go plot and things like that. It also probably has to do something to do with laziness. <laughs> like they come on, like the like a theme is something like you know you're trying to get across, and you know you're trying to hammer this home to the reader, and I'm just like a I little just, more highbrow. Yeah, Spencer likes that lowbrow stuff. What kind of things do you guys write? I'm sorry if that's repeating stuff for your listeners, but since you asked me, I'd, I'd love to hear what um, you guys. I um I usually steer towards more of a literary fiction type of style. But I have been dabbling in horror and sci-fi, but I still have a lot of literary... Because I read a lot of classic literature, so that just kind of bleeds over into my work. Spencer's more of a... Like a Stephen King-ish writer, I would say. Yeah, I mean, like, he's definitely the main influence that I've had. So, just subconsciously, I think, like, that's the kind of stuff that I lean towards more. Is like, like we were just saying, story first. Kind of fill in the stuff later as you go on, but, like... The story is is my main thing. Also, my fiction's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say heavily influenced, but it's definitely influenced by a lot of classic Japanese writers, because I've always just liked that style. I guess, like, maybe, see, like, F. Scott Fitzgerald, that's too flowery for me. Hemingway's a little too basic. And then H.P. Lovecraft, I mean, I don't don't want to fall asleep. My readers fall asleep reading my stuff, so I kind of keep it, like, in the middle of a nice literary fiction style. Going back to the theme... See what Mr. Aaron should. Sorry, just what you said about Hemingway. I, I was reading something uh, recently that uh, it quoted Gore Vidal's um, put down of Hemingway. He described him as a uh, a fields and streams novelist. <laughs> he kind of is. I mean, where was he from? Idaho or Iowa? I think. And he, if you read his, I mean, I wouldn't say his work is like has a lot of. It's not like a. Who am I thinking of? It's like a Jack Kerouac or a Jack London, where you have a lot of nature themes. But he definitely is, you know, a manly man, hunter-gatherer. Yeah. Like, he writes about those th- I mean, I guess he writes what he knows. He was out shooting stuff in Africa and machine guns on boats and whatnot. Yeah. He was in- I always thought Hemingway was more interesting as an author, his his persona as an author, than his actual work. Yeah. Sort of came to typify a kind of macho writer figure more than his novels did, seems. Which is interesting because in modern day America, a lot of people really dislike Hemingway for his misogynistic take on things. But I mean, obviously, it was a different time period. But he, yeah, he was definitely, you know, the macho guy. Even back then, he got a lot of guff over that. I think uh, Orson Welles made fun of him a lot. Yeah. Didn't they have a fight in like a. I I saw an interview with Orson Welles once, and he told a story of them both. Uh, wrestling and it, it sounded like two walruses going at each other i think it was quite late days for both of them so they both looked like the same fucking <laughs> huge man I, from what i remember it was uh when he it was like orson wells when he was starting to get obese you know after citizen kane orson wells versus plump older extra crazy hemingway when he was starting to go off his rocker 
I forget the. So initially, what that two walruses? Yeah, <laughs> one of them coming up. <laughs> yeah, pretty much just slapping stomachs. I think what started that spew, uh, that little spat was, it was either Hemingway. I think Hemingway was calling Orson Welles a ninny, a sissy, an antsy boy, something along those, something offensive, old timey sounding. And then Orson Welles, being the witty, sophisticated he was, he came back at him with something, and they had a very slow, on the ground rumble, <laughs> very gelatinous rumble. Uh, <laughs> I love the idea. That we, I don't know if this was like a misremembering, but the the idea of it being in a cinema, like a small cinema, and them trying to rumble but being kind of stuck in the seats. Yeah, it wasn't it's very. Uh, it wasn't an athletic endeavor by any means. It, it certainly wasn't uh, like a modern MMA bout. That's for sure. I imagine there were like PAs at the side wondering if they were about to kiss or if it was going <laughs> to get like, quite violent. I just imagine a lot of beard touching. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Hemingway, he fancied himself a boxer. He uh, ch- often challenged professional boxers who would take it light on him because yeah. he's Ernest Hemingway. He was arguably the most famous author at the time, you know, in the time period, at least American author. Because they would take it light on him, he assumed that he was the man. He got all big chested and yeah, barrel chested, and that did not. He had an ego. Is pretty much the the lying uh, aspect of Hemingway's character, but. Going back to his work, the only thing I really enjoyed, because I read his short stories too, and those didn't really hit me very hard. So the only thing I really enjoyed at Hemingway's was probably The Old Man in the Sea. I thought that was a masterpiece. Mm. Um, I like it. Farewell to Arms was okay. Uh, For the Whom the Bell Tolls was okay. But they were kind of dry. Again, it just came to the writing style. He came from a journalistic background, so he was more direct with his approach very punchy with his words, how journalists at the time wrote, and uh, which I kind of wish they would go back to, because now everybody wants to write some kind of, you know, giant hit piece that every... Well, either that or, you know, the clickbait yeah, nonsense. Just the headlines. No research, things like that, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> to bitch about that. But yeah, he uh, had that punchy style, and but he would also throw in, you know, three paragraphs of a run-on sentence. And it just... He never struck me as an author I was really, really interested in, but I did read all his work for the most part. Christ, that's a lot. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you... I, don't know. I would assume you guys don't have Barnes & Noble, major bookseller. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, Barnes & Noble has these classic editions, addi- and they're uh, they're fairly inexpensive, but they're like nice leather-bound, fancy covers, and they often have whole collections of writers. So, like, Hemingway has one. I think it has four of his main novels and then some of his short stories. F. Scott Fitzgerald has all of his works other than The Great Gatsby. They're really good pickups, so that's how I get a lot of my classic literature. Is Barnes & Noble a, a bookshop and a publisher? Because I don't think we've got the shops. But, I mean, I've, I've got copies of... I've got Barnes & Noble copies of stuff. Over here, Barnes & Noble, for the most part, have bankrupted or put out of business all the local or independent booksellers. Um, oh, okay. And then obviously Amazon has come along and they're kind of putting Barnes and Noble out. But Barnes and Noble is essentially, uh, I mean, it's the main brick and mortar store, but they're also almost like a Walmart type of bookstore. A lot of junk and useless gadgets and stuff, but they have, you know, your, your books. But mainly for a lot of towns and stuff, that's the only place you can really get books other than Amazon or online. Right. Okay. Uh, so but- it's a bit like Wolfstones for over here. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. That's because I remember uh, 
weren't they struggling and then somebody bought them out and brought them back yeah james Dorns, my old my old boss because <laughs> i think they he's, actually he's just bought barnes and noble and they're trying to revive them because barnes and noble have been dwindling they've been circling the drain for a while now because they have an awful approach at selling books uh right they so, go, so james Dorns just swung in and got barnes and noble as well I'm assuming that's who's doing it. I could be wrong. I haven't researched it too much. It's either him or some kind of firm, but they definitely, whoever bought them resurrected a popular British chain of bookstores. So, Well, to be honest, there's, there's pretty much only one popular uh, chain. <laughs> that, that would say that's it then. Yeah, that's him. Sorry, we've gone way off. That was my fault. <laughs> uh, we do that every episode. Don't feel bad. I don't know. I don't, understand how we have listeners at times yeah we just randomly go off on the tangents way too long our numbers keep growing our audience is getting bigger and more international so i mean that's a good thing i guess i'm thinking they don't want to hear us talk about writing at all I that's what i'm starting to think our audience has started to grow dramatically when we started to talk about tallywhackers more yeah to use your vernacular we start talking about penises more talk about what dicks penises cocks balls genitals bollocks bollocks all all those hang on let me write that down (laughs) talk about dicks more i'm telling you your audience will flourish p.s published bigfoot erotica (laughs) abominable snowman erotica let's switch it up a little yeah going back to penises real quick are you from my understanding, in England, if you say bollocks or wanker on television, that's the same as us saying, like, fuck or shit. Is that correct? Or are you allowed to say wanker and bollocks on, like, commercials and yeah, stuff? So I, I've also kind of wondered about American television. Like, are our swear words kind of, like, funny, archaic, sort of, like, silly, st- like, in the same way that we'd use a French swear word over here? Because, yeah, if you if you said wanker, I don't think you'd be able to say that on national television before the, um, oh, God, what's it called? The watershed. When when people, but when kids go to bed, basically, like, uh, before nine o'clock. These are all, like, terrestrial television rules that don't really apply to everyone that streams stuff. But, yeah, that gets counted as a swear word. So would bollocks. So would um, bugger probably wouldn't, but probably used to. It's just so wonderful because yeah. we can use all those words a kindergartner could say bugger in class or wanker yeah. and the teacher would laugh or we have i mean they i think on a beer commercial recently they called somebody a wanker and like it's yeah. fine daytime yeah. television uses it and we just yeah we think it's it's funny we uh, were talking about this off air because a japanese podcast i listened to it's another british gentleman and he um lives in japan most of the time and he was saying their commercials they often, like, they have Christmas commercials where they'll, t- uh, fucking Christmas is awesome. Fucking Christmas rules. And, like, that's fine because I guess fuck is not a word over there. So they don't, they just think it's an exciting term to use. <laughs> so, but they so, say that in Japan, fucking Christmas rules. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would be so delighted if I Maybe. saw that. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Christmas rules. Fucking Christmas. <laughs> Uh, two hours in and we'll finally get to this article. <laughs> no, uh, let's, keep, let's try to get things back on track for at least five minutes. Theme. <laughs> if you folks don't remember, we're talking about how to tell a good story. So the first thing you want to do is establish a theme, unless you're Spencer. Yeah. And you just want to talk about chopping people's heads off and well. stuff like that. A theme is something important the story tries to tell us. Something that might help us in our own lives. Not every story has a theme, 
but it's best if it does. Don't get too preachy. Let the theme grow out of the story so readers feel they've learned it for themselves. You shouldn't have to say what the moral is. That's a good one because when I first started writing some of my themes, I definitely would get too preachy or I would try to wrap it up at the end where there was an obvious moral and I've that definitely turns readers off because when I'm reading something, I don't want to be preached at. Yeah. I don't want to be like, oh, this is just the author's... Like when I was telling you about um, Native Son, how the end of that book, it's just a big... It's like a whole chapter is just pretty much the author telling you his opinions yeah. on this, the topic. And I just... That's not a good way to go about it. Yeah. Of course, that was written in the 30s or something, so that's that's a little different. There wasn't... Rules of writing as established as they are now. You can't get away they with that. They probably didn't think. have rules back then. I mean, there were some kind of rules. Actually, I think they were more strict. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Ash is the, he's the master of the classic literature. Yeah. He'll, he could tell you. Well, in, in the 1930s. Yes, sir. Not the 2030s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think the, uh, yeah, they, they'd have pretty strict ideals. I mean, maybe not rules, but definitely ideals. I mean, modernism had come along by then. So you had, uh, you know, Joyce, T.S. Eliot, Virginia Woolf. On, uh, on this side of the Atlantic, anyway, laying down some pretty serious what we're going to change about the, um, what the novel means, what poetry means. Yeah, I don't know. Like Whether you have a theme before you start, um, I mean, I th- you probably do have it, but it, it might be the intangible part. It might be, um, you know, the tingly part, whatever whatever is making you think, oh, I need to write this. I need to, I need to get some of this down. And it might come out in heads being chopped off or Bigfoot erotica. Mm-hmm. And you might finish that novel and then think, it's all about my dad. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Papa, why? You don't, you don't necessarily need the uh, the whiteboard and, uh, you know, a picture of him before you, <laughs> before you yeah. get going. Well, like I was saying earlier, I usually establish a theme and then I write a story kind of around that theme. But I don't, like he was saying, I don't, like the theme, that's not the major point. They still want to tell a good story first. That's just the... Uh, a good way to go about forming your story, I think. Like, for instance, I published a story today, and it has themes of things like loss, regret, you know, redemption, just your typical, you know, almost cliche themes, kind of. Like, that's that's something the reader will pick up, but they, almost subconsciously, they're reading the story first. So you want yeah, the theme right. as a background element. You don't want that as at the forefront, I feel. Because if you have the theme at the forefront, and then you're Again, you're a preachy douche, and nobody wants that. Uh, Next up, plot. This is going to be riveting. Plot is most often about a conflict or struggle that the main character goes through. The conflict can be with another character, or with the way things are, or with something inside the character, like needs or feelings. Ah, who the fuck likes feelings? I don't. My main feeling is just always anger. I don't know how you British chaps do, but over here, we're just always angry about everything anymore. The main character... Yeah, I so angry or just still depressed. I, I feel like in England, it's more... I don't know how it is in Scotland where you are at the moment. I mean, I feel like they would be kind of angry too. I feel like if you're Irish or Scottish, you kind of have to be either drunk or angry. Horrible stereotype, by yeah. the way. But um, England, I feel like they have... As as they we say over here, I don't know. The old stiff upper lip. It's more of mm. just about, eh, things happen. Whatever. Over here, it's, you know, optimism. You have to go get it and... Work 50 hours a day. The main character should win or lose at least partly on their own and not just be rescued by someone or something else. 
no no deuce ex machina yeah. deus ex machina you don't you don't i hate that that's always so irritating when just some godly creation comes down and saves the day without uh, don't do that folks most often the character learns or grows as they try to solve the problem what the character learns is the theme the conflict should get more and more tense or exciting the tension should reach a high point or climax Spencer's favorite word, mm. near the end of the story, then he's off. The basic steps of a plot are conflict begins, things go right, things go wrong, final victory or defeat, and wrap up. The right-wrong steps can repeat. A novel can have several conflicts, but a short story should have only one. That is interesting. I have never heard that, that a short story should only have one conflict. I mean, it makes sense. It would be obviously easier to write a short story with one conflict, um... I also think it depends what you consider a short story. 10,000 words, that's hard to fit in more than one conflict. Yeah. 20,000, which is closing in on a novella, maybe you could uh, have more than I one conflict. Like what you consider conflicts, because, um, you know, if, you, if things are unresolved, it's quite it's quite difficult to determine uh, you know, that was the conflict or, or was it this. You're talking about sort of literary stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of pin down, oh, yeah, no, that was it, or, or bracket it. I mean, it, it it's a it's a good sort of principle for I don't know some someone who's I don't know maybe uh, either unsure or or needs to nail down this kind of thing ahead of time. But I, there's quite a few short stories that I think don't really um, you know don't have a single conflict. I mean, or, or maybe novels that maybe ha do have a single one. Well, I would um, think that you would have to have a central conflict for sure, like a main driving mm -hmm. you know to, to throw in the drama. But, I mean, if you think, like, of a Kafka, is there – does he often only have one major conflict in his short stories? I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's always a lot of minor conflicts in there, and uh, you can have more than one conflict as long as you have a main overall central conflict. So you can have minor things happen to the character. It might be hard to resolve certain things by the end of a short story. Have you ever had more than one conflict in one of your stories, Spencer? I don't believe so. Usually that, just have one driving. Yeah, it, it, if I do have more than one, it's how you you were just saying like like tiny little things that kind of escalate quickly into a uh, you know into the main you know into the main uh, conflict. Well, see, like the story I published today, just bringing that back, folks, should check it out. <laughs> uh, it um obvious I had you know a, a final goal for the character that they're supposed to reach in the protagonist has one major conflict like something that's keeping them from that goal but the goal itself is almost something that would cause conflict i think so and then i also had minor issues come up too and it's a short story it's no i think it's less than fifteen thousand words i think it's about ten eleven thousand words so i feel like you can definitely have more than one conflict but i, mean, I, would, I would assume this guy is just talking about having like one main conflict though and then obviously in a novel you can have all the shit you want yeah you can be a Tolkien and just have endless conflict. Don't do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're really ambitious, you can. Most of people, are, most of what people have written about um, uh, *Metamorphosis* by Kafka has been about what the con conflict actually is. Yeah. Um, like if he wrote it thinking, "Oh, the conflict is uh, he's a he's a beetle. He needs to not be a beetle. That's the conflict." <laughs> but he's a beetle. You know, that's a story about like how shit it is to be a beetle. But <laughs> no much about metamorphosis or Kafka, if that's all it was, you know. Um, 
uh, endless sort of uh, readings of you know what the central shame is and and so what what the actual conflict is it how autobiographical it is or not or you know yada 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 so i mean there's i suppose you could think about conflict that way as well like it's it's much more entertaining to read about someone um who's a beetle than <laughs> yeah. someone having a kind of breakdown in their bedroom which is basically what the, <laughs> the story is metamorphosis yeah. is, is a great example though because like you said he was a beetle i mean he wakes up a beetle that's <laughs> That's the central conflict. Oh, is it Peter? What the fuck is he going to do? But then, yeah. the like, that's the central conflict. But again, there was, you know, his family, they don't know how to handle it. And then, oh, oh wait a minute, they can't mooch off him anymore because he was the breadwinner of the household. So they have to get jobs. And then they start to, they felt bad for him at first. And then they start to detest him. And then by the end, they're disgusted by his presence. And he's shunned and put away in a room, almost like we talked about the cousin who lives in the attic yeah. earlier. And uh, there's so there's a lot of conflict there. There's more than just the central. He's a beetle, but yeah, and, that, and that's. I mean, I guess that I would say that's longer than a short story. I would say that's more of a novella length, probably. But still, cutting hairs here. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Story structure. At the beginning, jump right into the action. At the end, wind up the story quickly. You don't have to jump into the action. No. I mean, you're gonna attach your. You're going to hook the reader better if you throw in, not necessarily just action, but the, you know, the old advice is your first sentence or your first couple paragraphs should have something to hook the reader. A lot of classic literature doesn't have that. It's uh, even modern literature doesn't have that always. They, you know, they're slow burns for a reason. And if you like, an, usually it's if you're a more popular author and you already have an established audience, then you can get away with having a slow opening. But like for guys like us, we have to have that hit at the beginning because that's how you bring in the readers. Decide about what's the worst opening line you've ever heard. The worst opening or the best? The worst or, or the best. Well, I will just go with personally what I think is an awesome opening line, but it has won awards and actually I think started a contest for the worst opening line is I'm going to paraphrase it. I don't remember it exactly. The dark and stormy night. Uh, mm. You know, there was a dark and stormy night that's been voted the worst ever. But that, that sets the mood right there. But it is, it is kind of ham-fisted. I will agree with that. But uh, I was actually thinking about that earlier. I don't think I've ever read anything that starts it was a dark and stormy night. That Well, that's uh, that was the famous line. That was actually a guy yeah. who wrote that and that set off. If you look it up, I, there's awards for that now. The best opening lines in a story. And people purposely try to come up with awful opening lines, which I want to do sometime. That sounds pretty fun. Yeah. But, you know, the dark and stormy night was the, the go-to opening I'm line for terribleness. Was uh, another one that was like top of the cliched opening sentences. A shot rang out. I hate it when it's a deliberately, um, I don't know, like deliberately rude opening. Like the first word is "fuck." I screamed. Yeah, yeah, that's a little that that hits you the wrong way sometimes. Well, I think it's Jim Butcher. Is he the author of the Dresden Files? I never read it, but isn't his opening like I stood in front of Walmart as it burned down or something yeah. like that? And apparently that's a pretty famous one for modern fiction. Uh, Stephen King with the Dark Tower series wasn't his, you know, the man in black or the, what was it? The across the desert, man yeah, in black like, followed. Yeah, following the, like, yeah, following the man in black across. It's only like two yeah. sentences, but every, everybody quotes that as the most, one of the most, and it's so simple. Yeah. So you can definitely hook a reader at the beginning, but it isn't necessary. It's just, it, you have to judge by your audience and. 
if you don't have an established audience, I would and, say... And it also depends on the kind of story that you're telling, too. Yeah, if you're doing, uh, like, Natsume Suzeki, if you're doing one of, like, a, his style of story, he always had a, uh, almost more of a dreamlike quality to do his work sometimes. So, if you were, like, uh, Ten Nights of Dreams was his little short story collection, and it was just about dreams. Well, his story, I mean, again, he's a Japanese, he was a, the most famous Japanese writer of the 20th century, so his work is obviously very popular over there anyway, but his, he didn't always have a hook into it. A lot of Japanese writers, they don't always have a hook at the beginning. They just kind of flow and let you feel the story. You kind of just get involved into the world they're creating. And I think that's a fine way to go about it, too. I don't think you always need that action or drama right away. I mean, it obviously helps. Like when we reviewed uh, the Black series, we yeah. felt that it was a little bit too slow of a startup. It could have used drama in the first half of the book, but it's not always necessary. It depends what kind of story you're telling, like you said. Decide about writing the story either in first person or in thirst. Oh, fucking somebody message me. Spencer, are you sending me dick pics again? Dude, I sent you all the dick pics that I have already. I'm, I'm fresh out. You could take more. I mean, I wouldn't be upset. My phone won't allow it. <laughs> Ran out of storage yeah. space. <laughs> Decide about writing the story in either first person or in third person. Third person pronouns are he, she, and it. Not allowed to use any of those anymore. <laughs> right? So writing in third person means that telling... very insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to use them and they. An X. It's very, very infuriating if you're a writer, by the way. So writing in third person means telling a story as if it's all about other people. The first person pronoun is I. So writing in first person means telling a story as it happens to you. Even if you write in third person... They were a dark and stormy night. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Even if you write in third person, try to tell the story through the eyes of just one character. Most likely the main character. Don't tell anything that the character wouldn't know. This is called point of view. If you must tell something else, create a whole separate section with the point of view of another character. Decide about writing either in present tense or in past tense. Writing in past tense means... Yeah, okay, we get it. Yeah. You have a fucking... You want to structure your story a certain way. Some of my favorite stories are alternating viewpoints. Which, yeah, yeah I those, mean, are, those are fun. Just because I read Stephen King and Carrie recently, uh, Stephen King obviously does a good job of alternating viewpoints. Um, some of my favorite books have that where every other chapter is a different character's viewpoint and take. Um, I've read books where you have third person, but then it splits off into first person. If you are really... You have to master the craft at writing, but you can put out you know, quality stories that people... I guess the thing I'm trying to say is you don't want to make it kind of weird or pop out. Like, sometimes you'll read a story that's in present tense and it'll almost catch you off guard because, you know, you're used to reading third person or uh, past tense. The story structure is important, but I think the main thing is if you're consistent. So, no mm. house of leaves because yeah. that's, that's fucking out there. You want to be consistent with your storytelling and you don't want to have somebody go into chapter 10 and all of a sudden, the you know, the... The tense and the perspective, viewpoint, everything changes, and it just kind of throws you off, and it's almost like you're starting the book over again. Unless, I mean, there's experimental fiction and modernist fiction, so there's always different ways you can go about that. But for the most part, I'd say stay consistent with your story structure. Yeah, you have to know what you're doing to go for that. Definitely. Have you ever um, read, what was the name of that? I want to say once upon once on a winter's night a traveler. It's by Italio yeah. Cavini. That was a very strange one because each chapter started a new book. What? Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. 
And it was infuriating because each chapter started a new book and then you got really into that chapter and you wanted to read the rest of that book, but there is no rest of that book. It just, and then the whole book went like that. Um, so that was an interesting use of story structure, but again, he was consistent with it. How, how big was it? A couple hundred word, or pages, I would imagine. I don't think it was that big. It wasn't a hard, Tiny. it wasn't a hard read and he's a very good writer. So it was very well, entertaining. Just, I was just wondering how many first chapters you had to go through 20 30 <laughs> there's a lot i mean yeah. there was an overall story that was in the background or the foreground i don't know i guess it was the foreground um it was about a guy goes in a bookstore he picks up a book and he starts reading it and then oh sure enough there's a printing error and in the book it goes to another book like mm-hmm. so he goes to the second chapter. so he wrote the whole book that way and this guy's trying to find the original book he was reading and it definitely got confusing at times but it was very entertaining I I rather enjoyed it, but it's designed yeah. to piss off um, first-time novelists. Yes, who've uh, just written sixty first chapters, but no actual novel, and he fucking published them. <laughs> um, quite like me and with the ladies in my early twenties, it did not leave you satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, character in the early twenties. How old are you? I mean, I am a young and fresh, almost thirty-three. Okay, in your early 20s, sorry. In my early 20s, yes. They said in the early 20s. <laughs> oh, in the early, yeah, that would... Uh, that's what it feels like. <laughs> that's what... Uh, time travel, that's all. Yeah, I mean, technically, we're going to be in the early 20s next year. Yeah. And because we're very stupid Americans in this country... Well, that's kind of oxymoron. Because we're very stupid Americans, we're gonna everybody's going to have great Gatsby parties, which is oh, the opposite yeah. of point of the great gatsby but i'm still gonna have the great gatsby party because why not i want some flappers to come over my house i want to drink bootleg gin it doesn't have to be bootleg it's legal but i will i'll make it in my bathtub do you guys do you guys say bathtub over there do you use like bin or wash bin or something do you say bathtub or do you like say wash bin or something weird oh no we say i wouldn't probably say bathtub but yeah bath just the bath Bath. yeah by the way, to the listeners who are British, I'm sorry because I understand it's not weird to you because that's how you speak. <laughs> uh, I was trying to think of some weird um, things, uh, like discrepancies to talk about, and all I could think about was shot dead, um, <laughs> which I think we actually both have. But it's weird, isn't it? Because shot dead sounds, it's rarely used as it sounds, which is someone started shooting someone and then continued shooting them until they died. I mean, like often it's, does that originate from like dueling times where you would shoot somebody dead with one shot and if they didn't die, the I, don't know. I think it's often used like it's, but it's never like, oh, he was shot hurt and then shot dead. Hmm. Yeah. Cause if you were shot hurt, you'd just be shot. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought, but like, often it's used, you know, when you have a toddler over there, not to stereotype, but like. Some toddler who, you know, picks up the AK-47 that's just hanging around the porch and then shoots their grandmother dead. Often it's just like one bullet. It's one of those JFK bullets that just whizzes around the place and then... Hits their target, yes. Um, Shot dead. Yeah, if you go to places like Texas, uh, people just have guns (laughs) hooked to their refrigerators. And that's not hyperbole. They have little... They sell specific hooks... Like little things yeah. where it'll cock the gun for oh, you. Oh yeah, in your truck. Yeah, you can see, put them in your car. Yeah, they have seen those. Yeah. To be fair, Texas doesn't have a lot of shootings because everybody has a gun, so you know you'll get shot. I was in Texas once. I had breakfast with three 
grandmothers who all had submachine guns. <laughs> Not with them, but um, owned them. Um, I don't know if you've been to many places in the U.S. other than Texas, but we're in Pennsylvania, and if some if we went to a restaurant and three people had submachine guns, there would be a panic. <laughs> That's one thing Isn't that it? it's not very common to see people with guns. Whenever I see somebody walk around with like a concealed weapon or yeah. un, what is it, they have the right to carry. So somebody comes into a store with a big handgun on their waist, everybody kind of looks at them like, oh, shit. I see that all the time at work. Well, you sell guns there. True. So that I mean that would uh, yeah because you know when you're grocery shopping why not pick up a a rifle yeah I mean who knows what will happen yeah you can get your ammo though too I, can you get it at the same time though that I'm not sure um, neither of us are gun owners because I feel like it's just as dangerous to own a gun at this point because people will look at you and go oh shit he has a gun and then they shoot you I was just never in, I was just never into guns like a lot of people like have a weird like I feel like almost like sexual thing with guns like they just get into it too much stroking they, the barrel with that oil and, like, and you stuff you know they get into all the different kind of calibers and the you know cock action and whatever and I'm just like well I know a lot of hillbillies that have like 300 guns why do you need so many government the government the, the government has missiles <laughs> They don't, they don't just, all the government's going to come at once. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to drone you down. That's what they're going to do. Yeah, they're going to send drones. Your guns aren't going to do shit. <laughs> Make, yeah. It's very illogical, but yeah, the, uh, this country's not very safe. I don't I don't like to go out at night anymore. I mean, I grew up, you know, we went to inner city school, so every all our friends were gangster black kids, and almost all of them have guns now or in jail. Like yeah, all my all my friends are either went to jail or have guns. So. I know I know a lot in jail. I I don't know because I don't know them anymore. But I wouldn't be surprised if they had guns. Well, they, most of them went to jail yeah, for gun related yeah charges. Things. For as easy that's what I'm always surprised. For as easy it is as it is in this country to go buy a gun. I mean, you could just go in and they just do a very quick background check that says, "Oh, he's fine," and they just hand you the gun without you even knowing how to use it. A lot of people just get guns illegally. Like, they just don't want to do that. Did they just go, like, to a flop meet or, you know... Just like some the- random dude they know. It's like, oh, here you go. Serial numbers sawed off. Like, why? Anyway, that that's that has nothing to do with storytelling. Or, I mean, you can tell a good story about that. Yeah. We just pissed off half our audience. I would like to think... Yeah, our- sorry about that. I didn't bring up guns. <laughs> I would like to think our audience aren't a bunch of gun-toting crazies, but... We had we picked up actually I think thirty new listeners in Texas over the last couple oh, yeah. months like steady listeners uh, or something like that so people, sorry guys just fucking lost you them yeah that's yeah. okay but people read in Texas hey we pissed off Canada real bad somehow and, <laughs> did we <laughs> yeah because we had a lot of Canadian listeners initially and then they all fell off and then they came back well, we, some of them I came mean, back I'm gonna say we had to do something bad to piss off a Canadian I think like, we were just impolite and we do like make fun of their. Well, I do make fun of their fucking chunks of ham they call bacon. And the, uh, the, I don't know about you guys, because you have, like, fucking beans for breakfast and stuff, which is also a New England thing. England, there you go. But um, Beans, blood, all kind of shit. Yeah, you got you got your, your, your unique English breakfast. But do you have, yeah. like, normal thin slices of bacon, or do you have those giant hunks of ham that you call bacon? Because that's what Canada does. They have hunks of ham, and they say it's a bacon, and it is not bacon. It comes well, from- kind of both. But, I mean, we we would probably at this point say, oh, it's kind of American bacon, or it's American. bacon. Oh, I like it. And then it's if it was, like, thick, like Canadian would probably say it was gammon. 
but I don't know what Canadian bacon is really. So, and I've heard the phrase Canadian bacon. I don't think anybody knows what it is. <laughs> Mystery meat? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I if I can try and win your Texan audience back, I live in a city which buys a massive cannon every now and again. Ooh. Just for lols. The South, I don't know if Texas can, is considered the South. I don't believe so because they are pretty much their own country at this point. They're trying. But they've been trying to succeed. But uh, the South loves them some cannons. And I mm. don't know why. Because they just seem to have been stuck in the Civil War and never got out. Uh, <laughs> characters, before you start writing, know your characters well. That's on you, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't care if I, I upset the South because I've been there many times. And very polite people, super racist. Yeah. And we're, yeah. So, we're basically, we're like right next to the South anyways. When you look at the line, like the Mason-Dixon line, like we're like right there, like what is considered the South. We're in between West Virginia, Ohio, and Amish country, which is very strange because the Amish are a whole different thing. Um, I'm not going into that. We need to get back to this article because we're like an hour in. Characters. <laughs> Before you start writing, know your characters well. Your main character should be someone readers can feel something in common with or at least care about. You don't have to describe a character completely. It's enough to say one or two things about how a character looks or moves or speaks. A main character should have at least one flaw or weakness. Perfect characters are not very interesting. They're also harder to feel something in common with, Superman, yeah. or care about. And they don't have anything to learn. In the, in the same way, there should be at least one thing good about a bad guy. Um, we've discussed in the past how we like bad guys who are relatable and you can understand their motivations. So I'm not going to go into that too much, but as far as developing your characters for your story, it is very important to give them, I would say, obvious flaws, um, character flaws, and then it's also important to make them human. You want people to relate to him, but also kind of, not Holden Caulfield because he's a little douche, but you do want your character to be someone that your audience might slightly dislike, I would say, like certain things about just. Cubans are flawed people. You're not going to like everything about a person. It's kind of like, um, it's going to be weird, but the it's like the heel in wrestling. Yeah. You know, you got the face and you got the heel. People like both, but a lot of people like the heel because that's the fun guy. That is the fun guy. Um, that has nothing to do with the baby. A lot of people don't like the baby face. Yeah, you English blokes have a lot of wrestling fans now, don't you? I don't watch pro wrestling since I was a kid. Yeah, I used to work with a guy who was mad into wrestling. And I, I never understood where he went to go and see it because I've, I've never really like seen it advertised as being live, but he was always going to see um Is it WWE? Uh, WWE has their own thing over there, I think in Newcastle or... I don't know. I know. Uh, what, pretty close. What, culture has, what culture has their independent wrestling circuit over there, too, which I... I, I from what I see, it's always popular. Like, boxing's very popular mm. in England, but I think only in certain parts. I mean, when just from an American pu viewpoint, when somebody says England, you either think of two types of English people, and you think of the high society, um, posh, uh, Jimmy Carr types, or you think of, like, the, the lowbrow, um, what do they call them, Cockneys or yeah. Dick Van Dyke? chimney sweep types like it's very it's very ridiculous the stereotypes we have but as far as england goes like if you tell me like liverpool newcastle it's all the same to us we have no idea yeah so liverpool newcastle they're not neither of them are london so cockneys are 
Londoners basically that sound like this and Dick Van Dyke and all that. So basically, um, its own country, separate, like how we have Texas, pretty much. That's what London would be. Is just a, well, it's well, more like New York. I would no, say. No, I suppose it's more like LA, really, because it, it it's this it's the city that represents us to the rest of the world because they just think of it as Buckingham Palace, Queen, Cockneys, Mary Poppins, posh guys, and Cockneys. That's it. Well, um, London's very cultural now too. I mean, we discussed in our last episode we went over uh, African writers. London has a lot of Nigerians living there, I think now. And uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a metropolitan city. It's got all kinds, all kinds. <laughs> yeah, like ducks. Um, no, uh, it's got it's got all. <laughs> it's a big uh, commuter city, and it's um, yeah, it is multicultural. Don't know why I'm sounding weird about it. I, I don't live there. I've never lived there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another weird thing is like most people in America think that again we say America like we're the only America, but it's just how we do things. Yeah. Very egotistical, apparently. But um, like the way we look at England too is everybody's just been to London. Like it's just a step above. Like yeah, wherever yeah. you live, you could just walk over. It'd be the same as like saying you know anybody from the United States has been to America or California or uh, New York or California. Yeah. Like, I've never been to New York. Nope. I've never been to Los yeah. Angeles. I've been to California, but not Los Angeles. So it's, it's, it's not it's that sort of, Yeah, it's, it's sort of like Hollywood representing all Americans, which obviously doesn't. But it's, it's you know, Hollywood accents or Hollywood reality TV show accents, which is all, well, for a start, as West Coast and not representing an awful lot of, uh, of the rest of the uh, continent. <laughs> I enjoy. I remember watching... in New York being really disappointed that I never heard a New York, like a proper New York accent. You like know a, what's weird? Like hate... I've been watching a lot of uh, um, recent videos where one, it's like some YouTuber, and I think he's from New York, and everyone he interacts with has that super New York accent where it sounds insulting. Yeah. Everything they say, it's almost like Boston. Everything they say just kind of <laughs> sounds insulting yeah. for some reason. <laughs> like they're just very angry. But uh, I think. I want to say that's like Queens and Brooklyn. It's a very subsect of New York, but again, New York is so diverse, it's hard to say what one accent is. And then you think of uh, California, you think either like the surfer guy or valley girl accent. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then you also think of a southern accent, and that's it. Like if you're, you know, a foreigner to the United States, that's probably the main accents you think of. But, you know, we have, like, Pittsburgh has a very stupid accent. <laughs> I think it was voted the worst accent in the world now. Really? At least in the country, but uh, I think it was voted. Somehow it beat out Boston. Well, Bo- I know like- what a Boston accent is, thanks to Bill Burr, but that's, that's I it, people really. Like, people like the Boston accent, though. It's it, I will say it's entertaining. Like, the, the, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh accent kind of grates. I mean, the word yins infuriates me because that's not a fucking word. Like, who, why do people say yins? Do you say Ian Spencer? I don't think I do. I mean, I probably have. I'll throw you down the stairs if I ever hear you say it. I'll find some stairs. What does Yins mean? Yins is, uh, would be the southern equivalent of y'all or you all. It doesn't make sense. What would, you, Ooh, that makes no sense. Like Yins over there? Yeah, it'd be, yeah, that's what, how they say it. So Yins over there, Yins guys. It would be you, but instead of you all, you Yins. It just, <laughs> it's very, and Pittsburgh has a lot of things like that where they combine Words that aren't even like one word that's a real word, and then another one that's not a word, and they just combine it, and it's Douglas. That would only make sense if you were an inn or a pub talking to other inns. That's what I would say. I mean, we don't refer to bars as pubs or inns here anymore. I mean, we do in 
if you want to be fancy. If you say you're going to the pub, yeah. you're going to an upper class yeah. establishment. If you're going to an inn, you're going to a hotel. That's um, hilarious. It's the opposite here. Pub is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're going to a bar, it's above the pub. Man, we could, I feel like we should end the episode. Not now, but when we end the episode, we just should go over all the differences. Yeah. Because it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I enjoy it. Uh, setting. Set your story in a place and time that will be interesting or familiar. That is all this guy has to say about that, so I assume he doesn't use settings a lot. We talked in previous episodes how atmosphere is important, but setting can be its own character. Yeah. You can make, for instance, the Overlook in Stephen King's The Shining was its own character. The Overlook breathed, and it groaned, and it had monsters, and it was its own character. Uh, I think it's Shirley Jackson does that very well. Um, what is that? The House on Haunted Hill, or... What is the name of that book? I haven't read it yet. It's the show that the the haunt... They made a bunch of movies out of them and stuff. But Shirley Jackson does a very good job of also making a setting an actual character in its own right. And then, uh, depending on the story, because, like, you always hear, like... Um... Because like the like the comics and stuff like that, you like Gotham. Yeah, Gotham is like its own kind of character, and whenever you're dealing with that, it needs to be represented as a certain way. And so even like even with like real cities, like there's a a certain way you can portray it, and that will like that will help set the tone well, for for your story. For instance, if you have a gritty noir. You're thinking Chicago or New York. It's rainy. It's or cold. maybe you're thinking post-apocalyptic L.A. like in Blade Runner. Yeah. You're not ever thinking of a noir setting in Atlanta, Georgia. You know, you think of you uh, should you should you should write that. Yeah, that might be, yeah sunny days and uh, you know Miami cokeheads, but noir that'd be kind of cool. Uh, you don't think, Georgia noir. Yeah, <laughs> you you don't sounds like a porn star. <laughs> Georgia, I like that. You, you don't think of, um, or, or, you know, for instance, if you think of, like, anything to do with, like, uh, like, a, like a Jack the Ripper type era, any stories told in that is always, like, this grimy, rainy London. It's never just, like, a, a shiny, sunny day in London, which probably doesn't happen too often. <laughs> but no. uh, you think of... Uh, you know, classic Russian literature. You always think of just cold. Snow. Everybody's miserable. But like Russia has a lot of beautiful sunny days. There's no there's no reason it should be that, but it's it's how you establish the setting and it sets the tone for the whole story. Uh style and tone. Well that was a good segue. Yeah. Style and tone. You <laughs> use language that feels right for your story. Wherever you can, use actions and speech to let readers know what's happening. Show, don't tell. I'm, I'm going to finish reading this, but I would like to say that a lot of modern writers have been have been shitting on the show don't tell rule. They have been getting very upset of the show don't tell. Oh, you can tell as much as you want. I don't like books that tell the reader everything. I want to be I want to be able to paint the picture in my head. Yeah. I don't know why mm. that's becoming again. That's why I don't read a lot of modern literature anymore. Is because it sucks. Like these writers have babied the uh, the style of writing, the craft of writing. They've watered it down to the point where everything is young adult fiction almost. On the on the credit ledger of Show Don't Tell is is keeping stuff dramatic and and, and action oriented. You know, making sure that you're not just reporting your best bits. Yes, but um, I mean, a good reason to I think what people get annoyed about it is the idea that you just can't tell when. 
uh, you know, depending on your story, the, the drama of your story might hinge on who's telling the story. So, you know, if you've got an unreliable narrator or if you've got multiple narrators, you've got a bit of a chaucery thing going on with multiple people telling stories, telling, like you were saying earlier, different perspectives on the same scene. That's, that's, uh, if you're going to pull that off and have a, a, a numerous perspectives, that would require some skillful telling and, um, some deliberate not showing. There's um, definitely a lot of instances where you're, it's better to tell. And I mean, often when it comes to almost shorter or less important things in the story, you can tell. I mean, you don't have to be yeah. a Dean Koontz who describes, as we use many times, yeah. describes a leaf for five paragraphs. You know, a leaf falling from the tree. You don't have to do that unless... The main thing with the... For me, the rule of show, don't tell, the most important aspect of it is when you show and don't tell, it is what is important to the story. So if a certain action is important to a story, say, you know, I have my drink here. And, oh, I'm stirring it in my hand and I can describe the liquid, how it smells or how it's going around. Maybe that's important to the story because maybe somebody poisoned it. Maybe, you know, I'm going to get drunk later and it's foreshadowing. Or it could just be, oh, you know, he had a cocktail. And like you, if it's not important to the story and it has nothing going on, you could just tell. And I always feel like sometimes when people do that, they're just trying to like build up that word count or something like that. You're like, you know what I mean? They're just, they're just trying to beef up, beef like, you're like, I need something to take up half a page. <laughs> the old uh, middle school method. Yeah. Uh, mugs. I'm going to do 500 words on mugs. Mugs. <laughs> I'm hoping they're paying me by the word. Uh, if I got paid by the word, you know what I used to do that when I did get paid by the word when I did freelance writing? I would often add unnecessary things to my story or whatever I was writing and just beef it up. And um, nobody was the wiser. Nobody called me out on it, so that was good. Uh, the really, really, really big light black car. <laughs> <laughs> I think with a few of these rules, like um, show, don't tell, and like write what you know, I think they're a bit tricksy, you know, they're, they're, they're quite easily, you can easily come up with examples of people who do, who break them and it works for them. So they're not, I think, um, to any, uh, budding writers listening, they should sort of, you, they're well-intentioned, like they have their purpose, but they're, they're not, um, they're, 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 str they're more strongly worded than they should be. You should, you shouldn't not tell, like telling is important. You just need to know when to do it. Uh, I like write what you know sounds like, oh, well, if you were born in Pennsylvania, then you can only write about people who came from Pennsylvania. That'd be very um, boring. Don't you dare write about anyone from anywhere else because you're, you're not allowed, which is just nonsense. Of course you can. Yeah, unless you're John Steinbeck, that approach is very boring. Hmm. I would, because <laughs> yeah, all you ever wrote about is fucking California yeah. or dust bowls. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's a good point, though. I, I don't. I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but you know the old adage of um, of uh, master the rules so you can break them. Yeah, I'm, I'm mm. sure many people use that. You know, have said something similar to the, along those lines. But you know, you master the rules of writing, and then you can break them. So I think like when because I think we might have covered that in the past. Like the essential. I know I've written an article on the essential rules of writing. Those are just when you're starting out. Like, once you get good enough at writing and telling stories, you can break kind of, almost all the rules. They're kind of like uh, train wheels. Yeah. To, just to help you keep your balance until you can master the craft enough to where you can feel you can do different things. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, what do we got? Um, 
So Mr. Aaron Shepard also goes on with give speech in direct quotes like go away instead of indirect quotes like she told him to go away. Ah, be direct. I I guess I like that. You don't have to write fancy to write well. It's almost it almost never hurts to use simple words and simple sentences. That way your writing is easy to read and understand. Like I used I used to use the Hemingway editor which will tell you when your writing's too hard to read. And uh, it'll give you a grade level um, for what grade a kid in school would be able to read it. And that's, <laughs> again, that's good for when you're starting out. But at some point, I mean, come on. If you actually take, which is funny because it like tells you the if you're using too many adverbs and things like that too. And if your writing's too hard to read. <clears throat> so what it would. Uh, I think I've seen that. It highlights it all and, and tells you, you know. Yeah, well, calm down, you wanker. Basically, <laughs> which, which was funny is what, one time I copied. I think it was for whom the bell tolls. It might have been the ending or chunk in the middle or something. Um, but it was Hemingway, and I copied it and pasted it into the Hemingway mm. editor, and he didn't follow his own rules. <laughs> <laughs> so again, they're not. They're not. Uh, so that do as you're told, not as as uh, yeah, do as you're told, not as I do. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I'd love it if it just came up. Perfect. <laughs> this is the most excellent thing that has ever been written. Oh, you know what I want? I want a uh, Edgar Allan Poe editor that just fucking tells, like, it will tell you when your writing is just stupid and you need to just throw mm. a bunch of words and French and German words and you just make it mo- as difficult as possible to read. That's, that's what I would do. a bit more dark red. Yeah, I want more gothic horror. Not enough people were uh, dying slowly of the red plague or anything. You don't have. It's interesting what you say about dialogue. Like, um, I've just been reading something about Don Quixote because we're going to do an episode on him, uh, him on the book soon. Um, on him, uh, windmills and, and whatnot. Yeah, uh, and in an essay about the book, they were saying that the art of writing down dialogue as prose evolved much quicker than everything. Uh, written about sort of landscapes, so all of that stuff that you were just talking about, describing setting on um, the, the you know the prosy bits, uh, describing mugs or whatever, that that um, improved at a much slower rate. It was only until about the 18th century that people started sort of getting the the knack of that and started talking about what characters were feeling. So it was an awful lot of sort of dialogue in big chunks. Well, I telling. Would, I would imagine pages and pages of telling. Well, I would imagine that stems from the original art of storytelling, which was told out loud or in poetic, uh, um, what do they call that? Like when you read the Iliad or the Odyssey, that's, you know, that was read out loud to people. That wasn't written down. So Yeah, it's oratory, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that you know, that's the roots of the style. So, sorry, my dog's shaking off for some reason, going nuts over there. But, um... Yeah, so that I mean that's, that's <laughs> he he makes a cameo in every episode we do for some reason. <laughs> he, he big reader. Oh, he yeah, I would say so. More sophisticated <laughs> than myself. But he likes to eat the books. He does chew on them from time to time. He nibbles them. He likes to savor them, as I do. I don't eat the books, but I savor my books. That's what he likes to do. Is that a cone he's got on or a or a bonnet? He has a cone on his head because. He's been having some issues on his face. He has dermatitis. Um, for the folks listening, if you follow me on Twitter, you know my poor dog is on special medicine. But he's a very happy guy, so I guess he can't complain. 
finishing off this. Actually, this is the whole list. So finishing this off. Always use the best possible word. The one that is closest to your meaning sounds best and creates the clearest image. If you can't think of the right one, use a thesaurus. Carefully check each word, phrase, sentence, and paragraph. Is it the best you can write? Is it the right place? Do you need it at all? If not, take it out. The Use the best word possible, again, is the Hemingway style of writing. But the whole really being anal and focusing on the best of the best writing, that's more of just like a perfectionist standpoint, I would imagine. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's necessarily... Uh, like I know, I know a lot of writers who, um, James Patterson, just kind of phones in the, uh, you know, he just writes fucking dog shit and then just throws it out into the ether. He doesn't make sure it's perfect at all. He lets other people write dog shit and put his name on it. Oh yeah, now he does. I've, I can honestly say I've never read a James Patterson book, so I can't judge <laughs> the man. But I, just from everything I've ever heard, the man is just not quality writing. Well, I fucking have. Um... <laughs> I heard you we, in one uh, episode we, where you ranted about it for a long <laughs> period of time, and I rather yeah, enjoyed we, it. Yeah, we did it as a joke on um, on the podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, fucking awful. I mean, so bad that it's it's hard to kind of make fun of after a while. It's so bland. I, like, I, it really doesn't have any trace of a of a human under all that. <laughs> but I think I, that's because he he gets other people to write his his uh, his shit. I, I I listened to that episode recently, and I kind of almost like you almost had the the negative effect because I almost kind of wanted to read the story so I could get firsthand, <laughs> like just like oh wow. Maybe that's his appeal. No. Everybody makes fun of him so much that people want to read it for themselves to judge. But I don't imagine you would get long term readers for that. I would think yeah, the, the house always wins. <laughs> I would think the people, like, the reason why James Patterson continues to sell is probably the reason why we have an orange president at the moment. Is what I would imagine. I would imagine those same people crossed over into the political spectrum. I would hope not, but you never know. Then again, I was I would say maybe those people don't even read at all. Yeah, I wouldn't think they. Yeah, maybe somebody. That's just, what I find strange that there's that many people reading at all that that, that fit into the. Patterson bracket. I don't think there's a lot of readers, at least in this country anymore. It's very disappointing. It's disheartening. I I looked up the countries where if you're a writer you can flourish, and Argentina yeah. seems to be the place to go. They oh, love so that, reading. That's what we got to move to. Yeah, that's why I've been working on my Spanish. The problem with Argentina is Buenos Aires, especially their Spanish is kind of combined with Italian. So that kind of fucks me because. I, I mean, you know, I could barely speak Spanish well, let alone throw in Italian, so. That's... But maybe if you learn how to barely speak Italian as well, you well, can do a kind of the thing hodgepodge. Is, the thing is, <laughs> writing in the language, I don't know. Oh, that would be difficult, I would think. I don't yeah. If you read actual Spanish, like, he, you know, he's talking about reading Don Quixote, I, I feel like it would be so much different. Like the way you use like metaphors and things like that, because just the phrasing of sentences in actual Spanish is it's old timey almost. Like even now, well, you've dealt with that a little because you've said you've read like you know you're a big uh, Japanese novelist and yeah, well, Japanese is different though. Yeah, like, and their grammar is also backwards. But like for instance, Spanish, if you say orange juice, you're not saying orange juice, you're saying juice of the orange or juice of orange. So like that's how the mm. sentence structure is. And I'm sure if you're Spanish, you obviously you're not reading, you're just reading orange juice. But if you're an American or an English speaking person reading or writing in Spanish, and that's Spanish is your second language, it'd be very hard, I would imagine, to form 
good story that yeah. way. Yeah. And yeah, like I mean, I've been reading like an awful lot of uh, Don Quixote's humor at the time would have come from turns of phrase that I just lost on us completely. Like uh, whatever would be big rib ticklers in um, 17th century Spain. Yeah, don't translate however well uh, you do it. And there are some funny translations of uh, Don Quixote, but um, it's never the jokes. It's never the, the, the same. It's the jokes that always die first. The. Uh... A lot of Japanese literature does not translate well to English at all. I mean, we've discussed this in the past as well, but it's, um, one, the grammar's backwards, so that's obviously a, a hurdle, but for a whole phrase we might have, you know, we might have, they might have one word, or the opposite, they don't have a word for something we say, and uh, Japanese also has, um adopted a lot of english words yeah. into their vocabulary it is it's just all fucking confusing so if you wanted to appeal to a japanese audience good luck it's not gonna <laughs> not gonna go well i mean i think i could find a way that you could but you'd find yourself on some weird websites like well <laughs> yeah a lot of tentacles like uh haruki mirakami he you know he can speak english and he even translates books and he was translating like a lot of F. scott fitzgerald's work and stuff into japanese but when he writes, he has somebody else like he uses, really. Yeah, he specifically uses translators to do his work. But he, you know, he's a translator himself. But he says he likes to read his books, the ones he he has written in English, because it's a completely different story almost. Because just the translation does not, whatever he's trying to convey and the imagery he's trying to convey does not work in English the same way. It's different. Hmm. So, like I've been uh, learning Japanese, and it's it's fucking hard. And I've been trying, and I have a copy of Norwegian Wood because I want in Japanese because I want to one day be able to read that and just let. But I still don't know if I'll be able to actually get get it the same way a native Japanese person would. So, but it, you know, it'd be it'd be a fun project, I guess. Part of me thinks that Murakami reading his own books in English is a, a wonderful idea, and I, I want to believe it. Part of me cynically thinks that it's a really good marketing ploy to try and get bilingual Japanese people to buy his book twice that is brilliant yeah <laughs> i would say that is a great idea and if he implements that i think that is uh good what on, i would do yeah, yeah good, good on him he, it probably makes sense why the fuck would you read your own book even if it was in another language because uh, <laughs> i feel like i would just get angry if it was like you know the translation was different i would just, i would just get upset i'd be like god damn it uh you all right over there dog chewing on his ass gorgeous dog man dog dog man yeah, he'd be all right. I think he has to go to the bathroom, but we gotta be wrapping this up anyway. This episode is well over an hour at this point. Um, for the folks, well, I think we've told everyone how to write. Ah, uh, yeah. What more <laughs> yeah. information can we give? Yeah, I mean, if you can't, hopefully they took something away from. If this. you can't write a bestseller now, it's on you, man. It's a, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This will be on those Facebook masterclass videos <laughs> yeah. uh, in no time. We'll be right alongside Neil Gaiman. You know who I'd like to see do a master class? Adam Moore. Or Alan Moore, rather. I'd like to see him Alan just... Moore. Yeah, Dude, you know how that thing would be? With his angry beard and his wizardry? I would love to see that. That thing would be like 15 hours long. If it's anything like Jerusalem, yes. It would just be endless. You just keep on talking and talking and talking. I never listened to one of his interviews. I don't know how he... I, I know he's always angry at people. It wouldn't yeah. be for writing. It would be like making a love potion or something. <laughs> yeah. It would be how to... Meet your new tutor. It would be how to form the perfect harem of women. Because isn't he into, like, weird... Yeah. Well, he's a wizard. 
if Alan Moore wasn't a successful comic book writer and you know novelist, I don't think he would have women lusting over him. Does he have women lusting over him? Apparently, he's always having like three ways and weird things. Yeah, but I mean, you have to see with what though to before you can say that's. I would you assume know. they at least have vaginas. Wait, yeah. Man. Not bad from a guy from, from uh, Birmingham. I think he's from Birmingham. See, when you say... That Bur- means nothing to you, See, but when, not London. When when we hear Birmingham, we think of Alabama. When we think of Alabama, we think people who like to fornicate with their sisters. So, <laughs> it's, it's, oh, well, then, same thing. Same thing. <laughs> Universal. For our listeners in Alabama, we don't mean that. We love you guys. Keep listening. Are, are there any great Alabama writers? I think... Uh, how, why am I? Why am I uh, drawing a blank on her name? Um, F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife was from Alabama. Zelda. Zelda Fitzgerald. I think she was from Alabama. I don't know if she was a great writer. I never read her work. I don't think she was very acclaimed. Maybe that's something we should get into. You want to read? Uh, after you read all the African, Irish, and Russian literature, do you want to get into Elephant? Yeah, and then after Zelda I, you know, Fitzgerald? after I get all the Neil Gaiman books I just bought and the collection of Sherlock Holmes books I just bought, that that's definitely going to be there on that on the next thing to read. Yeah, your uh, your Sherlock Holmes books that's going to take a long time. Yeah. They're not big though, so I feel like my collection I got is bigger than the. What did you get? Four books? I don't. You didn't get Six. all of them. I think Six? I think it might be the novels. I don't think it's like the short stories and stuff. Yeah, I think I have everything. I just gotta uh, say, there's a foot of them. Um. Any. Anyway, to close things out for you. You so rudely butchered my ending, Spencer. My outro. How did I do that? For you fine folks still listening, God bless you. I. Uh, I love you guys. You're so nice. <laughs> no. Um. If you want to read more about the type of stuff we put out, you can hit up drunkenpenwriting.com. If you want to listen to a nice, fine podcast that is. More sophisticated, better researched, and I would say more well-spoken. Head on over yeah. to the old Ear Read This by Mr. Ash. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. this is very nice. No. So, yeah, here are the, uh, check out the Ear Read This. That's Ear, not here. E-A-R, Read This. You can hit us up on the old Twitter, at Drunk Pen Writing, and you can, don't send us the dick pics on there. Yeah, you, you send it to Spencer's personal one. Oh, send us the dick pics. We'll we'll take a few more. We're, we're actually quite low on dick pics. Ear read this is low on dick pics, so you want to hit them up on Twitter. You send and read this all your dick pics. All the dick pics. The more crooked, the better. I'd like to construct a new logo out of the Photoshop dick pics, just like one by one, building blocks, <laughs> dick by dick. Oh, fuck! Why did not we not think of that? It's too late now. We yeah. got we got our our logo in print now. We need to. We got it. We're stuck with it now. Yeah, we should have hired an artist to. Brt. I only need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I need about seven normal decks and then one weird one, like an octo <laughs> deck. So if, for the R. If we have any Vietnamese or no, that's that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Or just veteran. <laughs> Injured, injured penises. Injured penises. If you were a football... Do you have an injured penis? <laughs> if, if you were... Uh, how do you... What's a profession that has a lot of injured penises, you would say, Spencer? I feel like... Uh, that's, a, that's a hard Adulterous? one. Adulterous? Uh, maybe if you're in the pornography industry... Male strippers. Male strippers. People are just grabbing at it. Yanking on it. Twisting it. 
if you do uh I don't, racing I don't... drivers you know people get around corners quickly yeah i would imagine um horseback riders oh Oh yeah, wow. they probably got some twisted. Wa- oh, the the Tour de France guys. Oh yeah, they they're... got some twisted wieners. Yeah, saddle sores, right? Oh, they got some mutilated genitals. So anyway, if you're Lance Armstrong and you're listening, please <laughs> send your. Di- I'm sorry, that's the only Tour de France guy I've ever heard of. If you're uh, except for Floyd Landis, I know him because he also got steroid usage. They should just let it go. At this point, I mean, it was it like twenty of the top twenty people were all on roids. Anyway. Man, we go off track very quickly. It doesn't take much. So if you want to... What, what, what's the Ear Read This Twitter account? Is it just Ear Read This? Ear Read This, yeah. So, yeah, and we're um, we're going to start doing more episodes again soon. We're, we've been a bit like uh, scattershot, but we're going to we're gonna do chronological um, uh, books starting from October. So we're going to go through the 18th century up to modern day in about six or seven months, all being well. Just... Um, Trotting through decade by decade, that's the plan. Because it's been a bit random. We've done we've done like Shakespeare one week and then some random Kinda all fucking over James the place, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh anywhere else uh, people can read you. Uh Instagram, I read this, uh Facebook the same. All of which were uh, in fact, apart from Twitter, <laughs> the other two were pretty active on. Um, because it's me and I don't quite understand Twitter yet. I am good on the Twitter, Facebook. I just, I can't care. I've tried. I've tried to boost it, and I just, I get so, it seems like a hot box of negativity for one, and two, which Twitter is two, I guess, but, uh. Yeah, man, you came in for some shit on Twitter, I saw. Yeah, we did, uh, the episode we recorded yesterday, we went in on uh, about all that, but yeah, I got a a whole shit storm. So what's all that about? I haven't listened to that one yet. Uh, it's not going to be released till probably after this one, I would think, because that's a just okay. a bullshit episode. So we usually post those on Fridays. The, this episode will be posted on Tuesday, so the coming okay, Tuesday. Cool. Um, yeah, but the, yeah, I got a shitstorm coming after me. And I, I don't, I don't really care, but I thought it was fun. If it's going to boost the sales of the anthology we're putting out in October, yeah. I'm excited, right? And then we've we also discussed the giveaway on that episode. But yes, yeah, Ooh. won't do that on this one. But yeah, so you folks want to check out the ear read this podcast? You got other information. If you want to follow us on Facebook, you can. If you want to comment and send us dick pics on there, we'll get back to you eventually. I apologize for not keeping up with it. It's just uh, too many old ladies. That's what it seems to be. Yeah, old biddies. Uh, and you know what? Their dick pics are not as good. No, it's no. always of their like husband Ebenezer or something. It's just this droopy, sad, the balls down to the knees. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Uh, you could, uh, check us out on Goodreads. We do have a group on there that I don't think has been updated for a long period of time. That is not on me. That's on Mr. Ashley Hatter. We have another Ash that is somewhat involved in the, uh, podcast, but he's always on DPW. Um, we don't have an Instagram, so if you just want to check out Big Bottom Girls, you'll have a good time. Yeah. Or the ear read this on Instagram. What, what do you guys post on there? Because I thought about creating a DPW Instagram, but I wasn't sure what we can do other than post like pictures of the podcast. I mean, yeah. Well, you know what, man? I, it was the one I was least um, hopeful for, and it's turned out to be the only one that does anything noticeable <laughs> really? in terms of boosting listener figures. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Facebook, fuck all. Twitter, fuck all. Um, Instagram, a little bump. Um, and yeah, I know the thing about, you know, it's a book podcast. There's nothing, um, it's so hard yeah. image based, but actually, 
I mean, we, my, my sister does a load of artwork for the podcast, which is great. So I've got a bit of a leg up in, on that front. So I've got like author um, illustrations. Um, but then stuff like, you know, stuff online of, uh, so I think I can't remember what the last one was. I think it was, oh yeah, it was uh, just a screen grab of a film version of some bad poets that we did our last episode, on, which happens to have a, a cult uh, English, well, British comedian, um, two Brit- cult British comedians, Peter Sellers, who I think you will have heard of, Spike Milligan, you might not have. Peter Sellers was a Pink Panther. Yeah, um, Peter Sellers. Yeah, Spike Milligan didn't go over the Atlantic quite as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it does actually work, and I think I think you'll you'll find ways. But um, yeah, people just seem to be a bit more. I don't know what it is really. I think uh, images are the way to go. It makes me a bit sad, really, especially because we're talking about uh, language and words and that. Um, you'd hope that saying something pithy on Twitter would encourage people to listen to a book podcast <laughs> more than. Uh, a nice picture, but apparently not. <laughs> well, in my experience, Twitter gets us the most engagement, but the least amount of clicks on our links. So if we post podcasts or short stories or anything, people do not seem to click them, but they engage with us, which is very strange. So our audience grows, but they don't seem to... Like, we get most of our stuff from WordPress bloggers. Yeah. They like their our stuff the most. And Facebook, but again, I, I just don't like... See, well, I met Ash through um, a literary group we were on. He posted on there. That's how I found his podcast, so I should probably do that as well. But uh, I ended up actually dropping out of that literary group because this one lady just kept posting, like, spamming these awful readings on you, you, her YouTube videos. Her just reading Those classes. are bad. The, the groups are sometimes fucking awful. Like, I've made a friends with a few people, and there's some really nice people on them as well, but... Honestly, the people that run those groups sometimes they are, they're like little garden Nazis. <laughs> like I, um, I posted. Uh, sorry to delay your ending again, yeah, but um, there was, was one that was called something like "Great Literature from." It was oh, like from Pushkin to uh, Nabokov. It was something like that, and like from two. And so I posted saying, uh, hey, I've just done an episode on uh, Kafka and I talk about what Nabokov thinks of him. Um, thought it might be of interest. It's obviously free. There's not even any advertising on it. Tiny little podcast, blah, 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 blah. Um, and got a couple of likes or whatever. And then next time we did one, it was on uh, Dickens. And so I posted, hey, uh, me again. Um, last time I was talking about Kafka. This time we're talking about uh, Dickens. Here it is. Uh, da, 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 da. I got this. <laughs> I got this message from a guy who was going, Ash Caton. Um, <laughs> last time you posted some nonsense about Franz Kafka. Now you're back with your Dickens shit. Uh, have you seen the title of this page? It's from Pushkin to Nabokov. You twat. Etc. Um, uh, Etc. Et it went on and on and on. <laughs> Can you delete this nonsense, please? Uh, so uh, I, I was sort of like I was tempted to say like your the title of this group implies inclusivity like it's from Pushkin to Nabokov and everyone in between say but he actually meant like if you're not posting explicitly about Pushkin or Nabokov fuck off um, that's so specific yeah. <laughs> I know it's so specific and so badly worded but um, I couldn't be asked getting in a fight. So I wish I wish I had a cool put them to uh, mm-hmm. phrase, but no, that's the sort of company that you risk uh, clashing with. 
if you go into those but it is a bit worth it like some of the ones i've posted um we did one about the life of conan doyle um which is obviously one of the maybe more popular ones because uh people love sherlock holmes uh people are really nice about that shared that about there are some lovely people out there too it's just uh some knobs <laughs> i've been hesitant because i think i'm only, I, I dropped out of a lot of the groups again because like for one uh, one individual I won't name i don't know him but they just kept every day it was just like 50 fucking videos of them just reading awful stuff so like i that just dropped out of all the ones that included that but then i joined one that's uh the, the one I'm only, I forget the name of it. I think it's just like classic literature or something. And there's a 3,000 members or something. It's pretty big. So that one, every there's a lot of nice people in there and haven't given me any problems. But I worry about even if we do like a Hunter S. Thompson episode or even if we went, you know, like a Hemingway episode or something. Because we don't go into the classic literature biographies too much. But even if we had one like that, I wouldn't be comfortable posting on that forum because I feel like might be a little too raunchy for some of those folks. Yeah, that's just, yeah, that's just not what they're into. Yeah, I, I don't think they would enjoy it. So I kind of struggled with with that. Um, I might do if we did start an Instagram, it might be a good idea to do like, uh, for instance, an episode on the Dead Poet Society, and then you can do a picture and an accompanying quote from the movie. Yeah, and or if we do one because we we're talking about doing one on the one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, so that might be a good mm-hmm. idea because you can post from the movie and the differences and. So th- I guess there's a good way we could do Instagram. It's just uh, we're lazy. Yeah. Well, I have. It's fun. another fucking job. You yeah, know? I have, it's I have, already. It's, we're not getting paid it's for difficult this. Editing podcasts. Yeah, it takes. You know, it's a whole whole other stream of work. For each podcast we record, if we're at an hour, it usually takes me an hour and a half to two hours to edit, and then that doesn't include the write up on you know just the post I do, and I always create a YouTube yeah. video, which takes about five seconds. Now I got that streamlined. But the upload takes like an hour, and uh, it, it, it's just it's a lot of fucking stuff. But but anyway, uh, <laughs> for, you, for you folks, if we have any listeners at this point, if you haven't shit it off, yeah, which I wouldn't blame you. Um, you make sure you listen to the next episode to get the details on our giveaway. Again, you can hit us up on drunkenpenwriting.com, at drunkpenwriting on Twitter. Check out the Ear Read This podcast, because they're also great. And kisses all around, man. We're just about love here. You folks have a wonderful day, great evening, whatever you want to do. See you later. Goodbye. Bye.